Well, hello. I'm Daryl Louie, Director of Admission at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, and welcome to the Alp. Welcome to the Alp, the Admissions Leadership Podcast, a series of one-on-one conversations with folks who have been climbing the leadership mountain in college admissions. Some are approaching the summit, some are already there. But how did they get there? And what can we learn from their mindsets, habits, and experiences? With me today, well, shoot, I should say who I am. I'm Ken Anselman. I'm the Dean of Admission. I totally flubbed my own introduction. I'm Ken Anselman, Vice President for Enrollment and Communication at Lawrence University and the Dan Saracino Chair for Enrollment Management at RHB. And with me today is a longtime friend and fellow traveler, and we'll probably get to this in a bit, Daryl Uwe. Daryl, how are you? Good, Ken. How are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's good to have you. We, we just had a colleague of yours on a few weeks ago, I Jennifer know. Delahunty. That was fun. It was so good to hear her. Well, and it's, it's good to hear you. How are you holding up these days? Uh, hanging in there. Um, yeah. I mean, being in Maine has been lovely. Um, working from home has been surprisingly better than I thought. Um, so I'm enjoying it. Although I really want to go back to the office and see the team and see, see folks and students eventually. But, but right now... Um, laying low and just doing what we can to sort of take it day by day. You're getting out on the bike. We went for, so I got a new bike for uh, Christmas and I went on uh, my first ride on the new bike over the weekend. Um, Oh, nice. So the weather is finally warming up here in Maine and uh, it was only 15 miles, um, but it was just good to be out and about and enjoying the the spring sun. So 15 miles is perfectly fine. Any, any mileage, any mileage is is good, right? You're coming out to the good side of the ledger. Yeah. Um, Just to set the tone. um, I know I have, and I mentioned at the top that I'm a, we're a fellow traveler. Um, uh, Daryl and I have done a fair amount of traveling together. And by the way, if you are looking for a great travel partner and someone who is going to tell you all the best places to eat, um, I, 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 I don't know if there are many better than you, Daryl. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> that that <laughs> week. Uh, it's fun. It I try was. To, I try to enjoy every trip I go on, and food is a great pleasure, so why not enjoy a good meal with, with fellow travelers? Although maybe one of the best was when we stopped at some random In-N-Out burger <laughs> in the middle of the valley on this road trip that we, we had to take. Um Daryl, when was that? that a couple was of years ago? Three years ago, maybe? Oh, stop. No, it was yesterday. <laughs> it was in the before times. <laughs> um, no, we were, there were five of us that were road tripping around. We were uh, doing some travel as part of the American Talent Initiative, right? It was you and me and Bruce from Lehigh uh, and Jennifer Sandoval Donks from Claremont McKenna and Julie Carrick from FNM. Yep. Right. And we found ourselves, it was during the time of the San Francisco, all the Cal, well, one of the times with the California fires, right? And yeah. we were supposed to go from LA to San Francisco. Let's go. And what happened next? Um, we all woke up and found out that our flights were canceled um, and had to, I forgot who, did you rent the car? Uh, I think Bruce did. We didn't want to, nobody wanted to take responsibility for it. So we let, we let Bruce do it. And we ended up driving from uh, LA all the way to San Francisco and made it for a program that night, right? Like we ended in the morning and we had to get there for an afternoon program. That was fun. But we had in and out, which was great. So yeah. Yeah. That was really a long shaggy dog story to get to. (laughs) I used the in and out burger as a, as an entree for the the road trip, but uh, we made it in, record time well bruce um, was driving like you said and he has yeah. like uh, like a lead foot so he has a gift <laughs> he has a gift um we know what it's like to drive on the autobahn because we've we've driven with bruce bonnick so <laughs> it was good um but when we were doing all this travel together i know you have a really great story daryl that you tell about your own journey mm. to college 
Um, and also kind of to your, the, the life that you have today. I, I know we didn't even talk about this in advance, but I, I, you have this great way of explaining how you, how you told your parents where you were going to college and then what were you going to do after you graduated? And can you sure can you yeah. take me back down memory lane on that of one? Of course. Um, you know, no one, no one ever grows up thinking that they want to become a dean or director of admissions someday. And, you know, I, I always find it ironic that I'm actually a director of admissions, considering that, one, I never worked in an admission office when I was a student in college. And two, I never really followed the advice that all of us in admissions sort of share with families and students these days. Um, yet here I am. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I grew up in New Jersey, about half an hour west of New York City. Um, I grew up in an Asian immigrant uh, family. My parents were both from the Philippines and they came to America over, I don't know, 45 years ago at this point. Um, but when they came to the States, they only knew of three schools, Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Um, and <laughs> right. I have, um, I have an older brother that went to Cornell for engineering and a younger sister that went to Columbia for pre-med and neuroscience. So in my family, there was um, this unspoken expectation to go to an Ivy League school and major in some kind of pre-professional. But I went to an all-boys, private, Catholic, conservative, Benedictine Monkhorn High School in northern New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, tried going there. And um, You can name drop. You, know, you can actually name drop the institution. So I went for those in admissions. I went to um, I went to Del Barton School in Morristown, New Jersey, um, and I was the first one in 16 years from my cl- um, from Del Barton to apply to a small liberal arts school in Connecticut called Western University. Um, so mind you, back in the mid 90s when I was applying to colleges, Western did not have the reputation that it has today. So when I told my family, my friends that I was applying to Westland, my parents said, well, isn't that an all-girls school? I said, no, no, that's that's Wellesley. This is Westland. So <laughs> first, first, I had to educate my folks about liberal arts schools in America and then convince them that Westland was actually a really good school. Um, and then if you fast forward to my sophomore year at West, when I declared a double major in theater and English, my parents then said, well, what in the world are you going to do with those degrees? I said, I have no idea, but we'll find out after I graduate. So ironically, after my brother and my sister and I all graduated from college, I was the only one with a job. So go liberal arts. Um, well done. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Thankfully, you know, both of them are gainfully employed at this point, but there was a period of time when I was the only one working, not living at home, and not under my parents' health insurance. So life was great. Um, <laughs> but after I graduated from, from West, I started my admissions career at, um, at Brown. Um, and I was there for eight years. Um, so there you got your Ivy, right? I did. You got so your my, Ivy parents, experience. my parents were thrilled. They must have been I got, proud. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was allowed back in the family. Um, <laughs> and um, I was planning to only be there for two years and then go to graduate school for, quote unquote, communications. Um, but eight years later, I decided that this is what I really wanted to do. And I fell in love with admissions. Um, so after Brown, I ended up going to graduate school. Um, but Brown was just a great foundation, um, and entree into the admissions world. And I was able to learn a lot about all the different aspects, um, within admission, um, from international to transfers, athletics, um, event planning to working with students, um, like everything you can imagine, um, I was able to dabble in in all the different parts of the office, which was a great opportunity. What else? In terms of graduate school, I went to the Harvard Graduate School of Education and I took a class with um, Lee Coffin uh, while I was there. And for those of you who don't know, he's currently the VP at, um, at Dartmouth. Um, but at the time, he was the dean at uh, Tufts and was able to do uh, teach a class, one class, um, for six weeks at the at the ed school. Um, and he was the really sort of linchpin in my trajectory. Um, and he was the one who told me that I was ready to become a dean or a director. So he's the hmm. one that encouraged me to start looking um, at these positions while I was um, finishing grad school. And... 
Um, so I applied, applied to a bunch of different ones. Um, and I got a lot of feedback from the search firm saying that uh, even though you didn't get the job, the feedback was um, I had a lot of experience supervising students, but not a lot of experience supervising staff or colleagues. Um, so in the end, I ultimately had a job offer from two places. It was between Vassar College in Poughkeepsie and then Kenyon College in Gander, Ohio. And Vassar's was a, a diversity enrollment uh, position. And then Kenyon was an associate uh, position, which would have been a lateral move for me from after Brown. Um, but after thinking about it for a long time, I actually ended up moving to Kenyon, um, to, to Ohio, um, and taking the job at Kenyon. And I think that was probably one of the best decisions I ever made, um, partly because in my mind, if I stayed at Vassar, I just think I would have been doing a lot of the things that I already did at Brown. Um, sure. And moving to Ohio, to the Midwest, to Kenyon, they, we had to work a lot harder than other schools. And I learned a lot about admissions uh, during my eight years at Kenyon. And, you know, Jennifer Delahunty, who you interviewed a few weeks ago, I mean, she's was a fantastic boss, great mentor, um, yeah. a wonderful, wonderful person to work for. So, and then eight years later, um, well, actually, no, in 2014, Jennifer decided to step down from her position and move over to the West Coast, which she talked yeah. about. Um, and that was the year that I was going to apply for this job that I have now. Uh, but when Jennifer stepped down, I was asked the, to stay The on. Bates gig. You were going to yeah. apply for the Bates gig. Um, but when Jennifer stepped down, I was asked to stay on as interim. And so I withdrew my application from Bates and stayed at Kenyon and then helped the new dean sort of transition in. And then uh, in 2016, uh, I found out that this position at Bates was opened again. And I knew, like, I felt like it was a sign. I just had to reapply. Totally. Um, and so I did. And then I guess, you know, the rest is history after that. So this is ending my fourth year already at Bates. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So so I'll ask the question that everybody probably asks. That's a total <laughs> leading question. So what's your next move? Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kidding. Like, no, like, no. Because you've got, you've got a great gig. But I, I, one of the things, and Daryl, we had, I mean, so everybody knows, we had talked about you being on the the alp not too long after the NACAC conference i think it was back when again in the before times when we were allowed to be near you know in each other's space <laughs> but you had done a session talking about you know your desire to be in this particular role even though you know your experience would certainly make you well suited for you know a vp gig or something like that but you, you've decided that this is the this is the spot you want to play the role you want to play and and could you could you talk a yeah. little bit more about how you came to that choice and and how you feel about that choice? Sure. So, um, ironically, I actually came to the realization during the NACAC panel that you and Jennifer did um, years ago. Um, I sat on that. Oh session. shoot! That, now that okay, that sounds a little <laughs> self-serving. Then to tee you up that way. That's not no, no. where I thought this was going. No. Um, but that was one of the points where I realized like it's okay to be number two it's okay that I am mm. the director I don't I don't need to be the top dog um, just listening to all of you um, on that panel it's like why do I want all that stress um, <laughs> and that was that was uh, that was Jennifer uh, Sasha Timi okay. um, I think was our moderator she from Indiana University um, and then we had Ray Brown on there too Right. Yeah, and that was the... and all of you just um, it was just trying to uh, understand sort of the challenges of your job and what keeps you up at night as deans and VPs. And I sat in the audience. I'm like, God, why would I want to do any of that? <laughs> <laughs> I really I love what I do. I love yeah. sort of the continued interaction that I have with students and families. Yeah. I love the fact that I have some um, time at the table to make big decisions with uh, the dean. Um, uh, but I also love the fact that I am the one that gets to hire and train the team, um, mm. sort of find mm. the next leaders of 
sort of the new generation within a mission. Um, so that for me is just sort of like, has kept me in this position. Um, so after that session that you and Jennifer did at NACAC, um, when Jennifer stepped down in 2014 and I became interim, that That's was another point when <laughs> yeah. I like had to do it. That was another point. It was like, yeah, this is confirming my decision that I really don't want to be Dean. Um, I mm. loved the being privy to the conversations at sort of the president's cabinet and sort of how uh, a college is run. Um, but again, I was being pulled away from the, from the people, the team, the, the job that I loved, which is all admissions based. And so I think other uh, folks on the podcast have said before, like the higher you go up this ladder, the further away you get from why you initially got into admissions, which is the students. Mm-hmm. Um, and being director allows me to have s- still some of that um, student connection and student focus within my um, sort of portfolio. So imagine if I can use a climbing metaphor, but imagine yeah. uh, Mount Everest. Um, and for those that climb Mount Everest, there are various camps. There are usually four camps that um, hikers will stop uh, before they do the next section. And camp four is the last one before the summit. Um, so I'm totally fine staying at camp four. I don't really need to go to the summit of Mount Everest. <laughs> this leads me to two points or two, two <laughs> questions. One you sound like someone who speaks from experience. Have you actually climbed Mount Everest? No, 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 no. I wish. But um, uh, when I was at Kent, they had a, um, a summer program for students of color and our first generation kids called uh, KEEP, um, the Kenyan Educational Enrichment Program. Um, and their summer program was called Camp 4 which is how I learned about it. Oh, cool. Um, but it was okay. just kind of staging folks to get ready to like sort of the pinnacle to get ready for the top. Um, okay. And that's, that's sort of the, uh, the background of why uh, the program decided to call it camp Four. so. Well, and that seems fitting for Kenyon given it's, strength in writing and right. power with metaphor <laughs> right. to really nail the landing on that one. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say was you said, you said a, a very important word twice when you were describing your choices, um, career, uh, your career choice, which is love. Mm. You love what you do. Um, and I mean, you could have stopped there right. <laughs> as the, the reason and the motivator to do it, because I think there is this drumbeat that people often hear, which is okay. So what comes next? Right. Surely you want to go to the next level and be a vice president and, and that you have chosen this. And I suspect you probably have had some, have you had to, for lack of a better way of putting it, defend that choice to people? Um, not really. Good. With the of my family. Um, well, <laughs> so, and, th- and that's not where I was going with that. I, but I, I know I, I've ha- had some other colleagues who like you have, chosen a particular path that may be different from one that other people think you should be on. And, and it can, sometimes you have to educate people about why people choose the paths that they do. Right. But I mean, as much as I have said, I don't want to be Dean, I'm really appreciative of the experience that I had as interim. Yeah. Um, I think that you're allowed, has allowed me to become a better director now just knowing what a dean um, has to think about, what they need at different points in the year, I'm able to anticipate that for uh, for Lee, my my current boss, my the current dean at Bates, and I uh, we just have a really good rhythm because I know kind of what's yeah. coming down the pike for her, and I can an- anticipate all of that since I- I've been in her shoes before. I actually was in her shoes. I did a second interim stint when my my second year at Bates, Lee had uh, her second child. Um, okay. And she had to go, not she had to, but she went on uh, parental leave. And so I had yeah. to step in again. Um, so even though I was like, I don't want to do this again, I had another <laughs> chance, another opportunity to do it. But this time I actually learned from that first time I was interim. And I, I learned to utilize um, the team that I had around me and... I think other people on podcasts have said this before, but you know, every good leader should be surrounded by really, really smart people. Um, you should not be the smartest person in the room. 
Um, and I'm definitely not the smartest person. And <laughs> the team that I have assembled right now is probably the, one of the best teams I've ever worked with. And nice. all of them have really good experiences, a lot of uh, years within emissions um, collectively, and um, but also really good instincts. And so when Lee was on maternity leave, I really turned to others um, for their perspective, for, for their help, their support. And we tried to figure out like what from my portfolio can I give to them so that I can then focus on um, what I had to as interim, um, hmm. which I did not do during my Kenyan interim stint. Um, okay. So I learned, I had to learn to adapt and readjust and sort of work with and take advantage of the great people that I was surrounded by. And so when you went back to the director gig, what did you do with all the things that you had delegated to the rest of your team to pick up? Sure. So some of them, uh, what was that? Adjust, what was that re-entry like? Um, other some some folks were happy to give it back to me. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Others others felt really comfortable and and asked if they could keep it, and I did not mind. Um, yeah. And that was great because it allowed others to to grow. Um, in yeah, you get to that they lift your team. Thinking. Yeah. Um, so great professional development that was not expected. Um, but then it's freed me up so that I can focus on other things in the office as well. So what are some of the big things that you're, you're dealing with in your role right now, aside from the obvious, um, that which shall not be named, you know, under normal circumstances, let's say, you know, up until the second week of March, um, what are some of the big things that you're wrestling with and maybe even still um, at, in your role, uh, yeah. things that you're working on and yeah. maybe things that you're looking forward to getting, spending more of your attention on? Right. So before I answer that question, Ken, to, to help you understand how I think and view my role, I'm going to use a, a theater metaphor, <laughs> just given Please. my background as a, a theater major in college. Please. Um, I kind of relate the dean of, a, of an admissions office um, or VP, kind of like a, the director of a theater production. So the person who has to think about sort of the big picture and has the vision, um, while the director of admissions is like the stage manager of a theater production. So really working behind the scenes, behind the curtain, making sure everything's running smoothly, managing a lot of t- people with very different personalities, very different experiences and responsibilities, um, scheduling and running meetings um, and kind of being the liaison or the, the conduit between the crew or the staff and then the, the, the dean or the like director of the theater production. Hmm. Um, and so in that sense, I feel um, like my time as a theater major at Westland was probably like the best preparation that I had for my current job right now as director. Um, and so for any, any parent who questions their child, uh, who wants to major in theater, um, (laughs) it was really, really good sort of career training for what I currently do now. Um, and just in terms of working with teams and being creative and collaborative, it were just great skill sets to learn for, for any career later on. So you sound like someone who has had to translate the value of the liberal <laughs> arts once or thrice in, just, in his just lifetime. Just a few times. Yeah. So. so when you were in, in theater, um, and actually, is that the right verb? Are you still involved with theater? Uh, well, I feel like I am all the time every day that I do a presentation <laughs> sure. in front of family. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. But do you, do you actually spend time in the theater? Uh, unfortunately, no. Okay. Um, okay. I, I, I wish, but no. Okay. Okay. Um, what, what sort of were, what was your role, uh, as a theater major? Were you actor? Were you tech? Were you? So I was the stage manager. Um, You were. Okay. So, uh, pretty much pigeonholed almost all four years as the stage manager, which is totally fine. And again, I really liked being behind the scenes and running, making sure that everything was running smoothly. 
So it would seem perhaps that um, one place to look when you're when you're looking to hire a director of admission is someone who has stage manager experience as a theater major. Like put that person at the top of your list. <laughs> <laughs> or any kind of project manager. Um, yeah. But stage managing was a great sort of um, segue for me. So That's a good tip. Yeah. That's a really good but, tip. But, you know, at times, I'm sure you feel this way, at times... Yeah, you can be a stage manager or, or a project manager or the person that schedules meetings. But times I feel like I'm like the treasurer because I have to manage the budget. Mm. I, I mm. feel like I'm um, uh, like a life counselor uh, for, mm-hmm. for staff that just need to talk things through. Not even about the work, but just about life in general. Um, and then like a career advisor for, for people that want to make the next step and how to go through admissions that way. Or even if they want to move to a new field um, after admissions, trying to advise them what to do, where to look. Um, so at times I think our job is like you're, you're a coach, um, but you're also the cheerleader at the same time. You have to mm. be kind of that, that guide, that leader, but also someone who's going to support from the sidelines um, no matter what their plan is. But I guess to answer your question in terms of what else am I doing right now? Um, that sounds like a lot already. Yeah. <laughs> but just tactical wise, I think, um, you know, right now we're still like working on wait list. We sure, are dealing sure. with, um, we're about to release transfer decisions. Um, we're recruiting juniors and sophomores right now. Um, we are coming to the end of the fiscal year. So we are, you know, uh, planning a year end of retreat, how we're going to do that virtually. I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, we're let, thinking about, let me know what you find out. <laughs> right? We're sorting through that ourselves. Um, we're thinking about doing something like the common app did for their summit, where it's not all in one day, different sure. sessions at different times. Sure. Um, and then what else? Um, you know, end of the year, annual performance, conversations, things like that. So, um, yeah, a a lot still happening, even though it's, you know, middle of May already. Like I said, it's the middle of April, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for, for all the schools that have moved their deadlines back to to June, you know, it's, it's April, uh, you know, April, whatever, uh, right now, at least it feels like it. Um, Going back to your team, so mm. I mean, how how do you take care of them um, under normal circumstances and even under these circumstances? Because I imagine you know team cohesiveness is uh, is essential right now. But how do, how do you take care of them as yeah. individuals and as a, as a group? So I think we've learned through um, remote working that um, communication is key or constant communication is key. And so um, when we first started remote working, um, we were meeting through Zoom Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, Actually, no, it was every day, Monday through Friday um, at 830. um, And just kind of doing a check-in and making sure Mm -hmm. that everybody knew what was happening. And given how quickly the the landscape was changing the pandemic was cha- evolving um we all needed to sort of hear from lee in terms of what the college was thinking next steps right. and how we were reacting um to any new announcement that was coming out in the news but you know after after may 1st we've dropped it down to just monday wednesdays and fridays with wednesdays being our normal staff meeting which is a full hour and the other two days are just uh, half hour check-ins. Um, okay. And then besides that, um, it sounds like every office is doing this, but a virtual happy hour every Friday. Um, mm. But we try to mix it in with like trivia one time, or maybe we okay. do like a photo challenge. Um, like one photo challenge was what is, take a picture of the view from your home office right now. And then we have to like guess whose view it was. Right. Um, and then, uh, another photo challenge is like, what do you do in your spare time? And then another happy hour, we played categories. So things like that. Nice. But in general, I think Lee and I are really firm believers in kind of a work-life balance um, yeah. and try to really model that for our team. 
Um, family is really important to us. And we always tell them like family will always come first before work. And that has stuck with me since high school. Um, hmm. Back in winter of 93, I think, New Jersey had, um, it was a really bad storm. It was an ice storm and highways were closed and people just couldn't get to work. And um, the minute the storm let up, my dad was out shoveling snow um, and just getting ready for the next day so that he could go to work. Uh, but when he came back inside, he was um, he was telling my mom that he was feeling some chest pains. And so oh, she no. called a friend at the hospital and the doctor said um, to my dad, like, you should come in. You should come in tomorrow and we should get this checked. My dad was like, no, no, I can't come in tomorrow. Can we do this next week? You know, we've been out of work for a while. I need to get back to the office, blah, blah, blah. And the doctor said, well, work is work and it will always be there, but you may not be there tomorrow. And... So that has always stuck with me. I know it sounds a bit dark, but it's kind of uh, like the like carpe diem and just yeah, kind of continue to live your life to your fullest. Um, so I always remind myself and my team that that work is work. And I, I'm so happy the lesson from that story came out the way it did. Because yeah. the way you were leading up to the story, I thought, oh no. Oh, no. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so thankfully, yeah, my dad is with us still. And, okay. <laughs> um, uh, he was fine. Thankfully, he had angioplasty, not open heart surgery or anything like that. They caught it. Um, if you waited any longer, it probably would have been worse. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that will always stick with me. And I okay. try to make sure that my team knows that. So, and then the other thing about the team, uh, I always tell people even who are um, applying for a job in our office, I always tell them that as a team, we take ourselves, uh, oh, sorry, we take our work seriously, but we never take ourselves too seriously. Um, and so we try to have fun and we're going to spend so much time together uh, in the office. We might as well enjoy our time together. So we want to make sure that everybody has a sense of humor and can laugh at each other, laugh at themselves. Um, you have to. You have to. And there's you no other way to. to get through the day and through the sort of um, intense conversations that we have around the community yeah. table without it. Yeah. And so, so how, as a person who's in a role where you get to model for folks, how, how are you taking care of yourself? You mentioned you, you, you got a new bike. Well, done. yeah, I got a new bike. So cycling is one way, just getting outside. Um, yeah. and given the sheltering at home, like whenever you can get outside, just go, um, whether it's hiking, a bike ride or, um, we take the dogs for a long walk, things like that, but it's just healthy um, and good to get up from your seat, from your desk and move around. But I feel like because we're working at home, I have, uh, I feel like I'm working more almost. Um, so taking yes, breaks. It, I'm uh, with you. It's it, like you have to schedule breaks. Otherwise you just feel like you're going to be sitting at your desk in front of your computer all the time. Um, yeah. At least when we yeah, were there's no working. passing time, right? There's yeah, no passing yeah. time at for least... meetings. You just go bang, bang, bang. Right. At least yeah. like when, like prior to the pandemic, I had a, like a half hour commute to work, and that was like my own downtime. That was like my personal mm. time. And now I like get out of bed, walk down the hall, and I'm like at my desk. And so finding ways, finding time, or even scheduling time to take a break is is really important. But. Um, I'm a huge uh, movie and like TV buff. So that's also a way to like de-stress. Um, okay. And then as any a, recommendations right now, anything on Daryl's shortlist? Uh, so we just finished um, uh, Hollywood. It's a seven part oh. series on Netflix by Ryan Murphy. Yes. Um, it's really good. Really, really okay. good. Um, okay. It's been popping up in my queue as something I'm supposed to watch. Yeah. And then but I need also... to finish up Better Call Saul. I'll let you watch that and I won't say anything. Um, okay. But we finished okay. Better Threat as well. Ozark is I'm good sh too. Um, yeah. Okay. And then another Netflix original called The Half of It. It's by the same director who did Saving Face, um, Alice mm -hmm. Wu. Um that movie was great, and I really just like sort of 
promoting or supporting um, sort of directors of color or actors yeah. and actresses of color. Um, and that was a fun movie to watch. So I'll put that in the show notes too. Yeah. Okay. We can always use a good, uh, good recommendations for what to watch yeah. and what to read, but we'll save that for the rapid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so spending some time outside, I mean, at least we have that yeah. right with right now, if this were met, I don't know what winters are like in Maine, but I imagine they're about as hospitable as winters in Wisconsin, which is yeah. to say these days are much more welcome. Yeah. But I, um, if you're going to live in a place that snows a lot, you just have to embrace the winter. You have to learn totally. to love it. And so we bought like snowshoes this year and I went snowshoeing for the first time and just, you can't let it sort of turn you miserable. Like you just have to enjoy sort of your surroundings, no matter mm. what the conditions are, I think. Mm. And then other things that make me happy or sort of how to take care of myself you know, I can't do it now, but theater has always been my happy place. Um, yeah. So like when this is all over, I am like really, really eager to go see a show again mm. and just be in a dark room with all these other people just watching this magic happen on stage someday. So, And have you been engaging in any of these theatrical opportunities that we're seeing online or different presentations? Um, a few, but yeah. Um, once we're done with waitlist and the class is done, I'll be able to have more time to do that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah. it. I got it. I got it. Um, well, one last thing, just in terms of taking care of yourself, I just yeah. Um, being in this position, and even when I was interim, I, I've learned that it's kind of lonely at the top, um, and I learned this the hard way because when I was a Kenyan, um, I turned to a lot of I turned to a few people on staff because um, they were just really good at what they did. And uh, I didn't have to supervise them or micromanage them. I said one thing, no questions asked, and they just they, they took the ball and, and rolled with it. Um, and they were great. And But, you know, there's the perception in an office, if you do that, that you, you can play favorites. And I never wanted to do that. And that was never the intention. So... Um, Leaders have to learn that, you know, you can't be a be your BFFs with your staff. You, you, you can be friends with them, but you can't, like, um, be, like, best friends with them, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And so learning to find outlets or people um, outside of your office to turn to, to either vent, to talk things through, um, rather than your staff, obviously, is really important. So... Uh, no, whether it's family, whether it's just other colleagues that you have, I mean, that has really been a saving grace for me in terms of talking to other people who are kind of third party and can just like be a supportive ear for me. So, mm. yeah. And so these are these folks that are on your campus outside your office or are these folks that are outside your outside Bates, but um, a lot of them are actually, all of them are outside of Bates. Um, okay but okay. all are still in higher ed in some capacity. So whether they're former people that I used to work with um, and now we're all in different positions um, to, um, do you know Beth Peely? I'm about to. <laughs> so Beth Peely is like my sister from another mister. Um, she's a, <laughs> a Filipina who has been in admissions um, and now is co-director of college counseling at the Spence School in New York City. Okay. Yeah. Um, she was formerly at Horace Mann. Formerly before that, she was at Columbia. And then before that was Yale. And she started at Barnard. Um, so, and we've known each other since our like we started in admissions our first year together. Um, okay. Yeah. And she's just a really good person to sort of turn to and talk to, whether it's about admissions or being Filipino or food, <laughs> things <laughs> like that. So, yeah. So uh, if, if Beth's line starts to light up, she can thank you for it. Yes. <laughs> right now, people reaching out to her. Um. When you, if you had to highlight a, a couple of leadership qualities, and I think you've touched on them, but maybe this, um, if there are others you want to shine a light on, but leadership qualities that you find most effective 
Uh, you know, especially now, um, I'm not going to say in these uncertain times, um, I'm saying I tut now just to keep it short. Yep. I don't know if that works. Probably not. (laughs) Um, but you know, a lot of folks are, you're seeing what is good leadership and you're seeing what's not good leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. what do you identify as a couple of go-tos? Yeah. Leadership qualities that are super effective. I think we talked about this before, just in terms of clear and constant communication um, and sort of clear expectations. Um, That's something I'm still trying to sort of uh, improve. Um, But those that can do that are are great. Um, But just the people that I talked about before, the people that I've worked for um, at all three institutions, the running theme between all of them. So Michael Goldberger and Jim Miller at Brown, Jennifer Delahunty at Kenyon, and now Lee Weissenberger at Bates. All of them are like irreverently funny and like mm. a sense of humor that will have you in stitches. Um, mm. Just people that whose laughs are boisterous and hearty and contagious and um, will make you just, um, feel good. But, um, so yeah, humor, uh, communication. Um, I've always been a fan of Jennifer's storytelling. She's just a great wordsmith. Um, and so people that can communicate, communicate well in writing, um, has always impressed me. Um, just really good writers in general, but also, I always am jealous of readers that can speak really eloquent, eloquently and articulately just off the cuff um, uh, without any notes. Like that's always been impressive. It's not, it's not a skill you have to have to be a leader, but those that can do it, um, I find are really charismatic and always compelling to hmm. listen to. I think good leaders our trust needs to be trustful. Uh, you need to trust your team to make the right decisions um, and let them fail and learn when they have to or, or need to. Um, but when they do, to be supportive at the same time um, and help them sort of get back on their feet. Um, so, yeah, those are, those yeah. are things that I look for when I'm like looking for a new boss. I'm not, Lee. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> The, the the giving people space to fail that's a that that takes an act of courage from a from a leader though right because especially when the stakes are high yeah um, and so building in that grace for people to actually try some things it's going to make it easier for them to tr- i think try something even harder further down the line that could be a breakthrough you need that you right didn't I think that's that's exactly what happened like between my time as interim at Kenyon versus my time as interim at Bates like at Kenyon, I didn't want to give anything up. I didn't want to like pass it mm. on because I didn't know how it was going to be done or handled. Yeah. And, um, but at Bates is like, here you go. <laughs> if it's not the way I did it, that's totally fine. As long as it gets done, it's, it's done. So good for you um, and good for them. Yeah. So Daryl, we mentioned it earlier. <laughs> Are we there already? We're there. Wow. We're there. That was Are you fast. ready? No, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, good. I. I. I okay. Well, <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> um, so it's it's time for the rapid descent. Um, you ready to go? I am. I am. Okay. Okay. Um, you, you are entering into the pantheon of people who have made their contributions to uh, the Great Seven Questions. Um, and apparently, uh, a lot of people buying stuff from the playlist that I've put up, or I, I have an Amazon shopping list. If people want to uh, write or read or do whatever, like the like the other Alpers, so nice. no pressure, none okay. whatsoever. Uh, what is your walkout song? Okay, so, so safe space. Don't judge. Um, <laughs> but either. Don't Give Up on Me by Andy Grammer or Broken and Beautiful by Kelly Clarkson. Who was going to judge that? Why would you say that? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, please. Oh, please. It's your walkout song. And following the theme, because nobody does one walkout song anymore, you've got two. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, what's the best thing you've read lately? The Imperfectionist by Tom Rockman. Okay. Teaser. What is it? What's the? Um, it's about a group of reporters um, in Rome who are trying to write an American newspaper, um, and every chapter is about a different person on the staff. Hmm. Fiction. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But it's just really well. Done. I love books that are not uh, that are not linear um, and didn't really know where it was going, and somehow by the end, like it all just came together. So I'll nice. Yeah. Good tip. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what are you eager to read next? I um, am really excited about reading something called This Is How It Always Is by Lori Frankel. Um, I've had several people recommend it to me, so I just got it. Um, I just picked it up through Amazon. So it was just delivered like a few days ago. So, so hard copy. Uh, no, um, it's been out for a while. Um, so well, no, what I'm saying is rather than a digital, it's a tactile oh. reading experience. <laughs> yes. Okay. Which yeah. is probably one of the other questions I should ask people is, are you a, uh, are you a paper or a, or a digital reader on some of these things? So I am imperfectionist. Was that paper? Everything is paper for me. I can't, I do so much screen time already. Like I yeah. want to read a book. Like I want yeah. the hard copy in my hand. I am with you 100% on that. Yeah. Um, speaking of real and tactile, what's your favorite thing to make in the kitchen? Yeah, so I, I, I'm i not allowed in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm an awful okay. cook. Uh, okay. You don't want me to be in the kitchen so, at all. So making room for somebody else is yes. your favorite thing to make in the kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> my, my husband does all the cooking and I'm only allowed in the kitchen to do the dishes. So Lucky I'm you. Totally fine with that, that setup. So, so then what's your favorite thing that he makes for you in the kitchen? Hands down, um, his chicken and eggplant parm is probably mm. my favorite dish that he makes. I think I've heard you talk about this before. Yeah. I can't order it out in restaurants at point at this point because it's so like, he spoiled me. Like he ruined so it. Yeah. <laughs> he ruined the rest of the world. Yeah. Chicken parm experiences. Perfect. Um, or chicken eggplant parm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you use to take and keep your notes? So I think it depends on the situation and the note. Okay. Um, so if like if I'm out and about without a paper and pen, then I'm going to use the notes app on my phone. That's like sure. my go-to. Um, mm-hmm. During meetings, Google Docs. Um, okay. But then I have this day-to-day calendar, um, the one that you can like rip the pages day by day off. Um, mm-hmm. on my desk. And so I just use that as scrap paper every time I just tear a day off. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and are you a pen snob, a pencil snob? Do you care? Or is it just... Uh, I had a... Because you stout. sign admission letters, don't you? Uh, no, Lee does all of those. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I had a... I have a fountain pen that my parents gave me for my college graduation that I love, oh, nice. but I just haven't refilled. I just, it needs ink. Um, Got it. Got it. So uh, as an alternative, I just love a really good ballpoint pen rather than, um, um, sorry, is it ballpoint? No. Or are um, you a roller, like a roller ball? Yes. A roller ball. Just like yeah. where the ink just flows really yeah, nicely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of having to press super hard right. with a ballpoint pen. Right, yeah. right. Okay, not that I have any hangups about that. <laughs> um, what's a memorable bit of advice you've received? Okay, this one has a little story, but um, the advice was tell people how to pronounce your name correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and I know the story. <laughs> um, so when I was young, I was at, I don't I, it was some kind of award ceremony. I don't even know what the award was. Um, but before the ceremony, the, uh, the, uh, the MC pulled me aside and asked me how to pronounce my name. And I said, oi, like toy or boy. Um, so when he announced me, I got my award. I sat back down. My dad was like, why did, why did he pronounce your name like that? And I said, well, it's just easier for people to say oi, like boy or toy, rather than ooey. 
And uh, my dad said, well, that's not your name. You are an Ui and you should be proud of your name and who you are. So you should tell people how to pronounce your name correctly. Um, so ever since then, I just, I think like names are, are really important aspects of people's um, identities and there are some great stories behind people's names. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always reminded me to say like, be proud of who you are, be proud of where you came from and always give others the respect that they deserve by learning to pronounce their name correctly. So, amen. Yeah. Great advice. Um, last one. Name an item on your bucket list you haven't yet checked off. Um, besides learning how to cook. There we go. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would love to see every movie that was either nominated or won an Oscar for Best Picture. Um, I've made it from 1989 all the way up to the present time. Um, wow. But I have still a lot more to do prior to 1989. So, Okay. Well, we have some time on our hands. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's good. It, it, uh, Daryl Uwe, um, because I know how to pronounce your name. Um, Daryl, it's, it's – pardon me? Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I've seen you do the, the gesture, too, of punching yourself in the belly when you say your name. Just to <laughs> – um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been, it's been too long, uh, since we said we were going to do this and now that you've done it. And so it, for me, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Ken. This was a lot of fun. It was been an honor. Good. So, oh, well, it's, Thank it's you. great to have you here. Who would have thought when we were packed in a van, zipping up <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the I five, um, that we would be here, um, Certainly not I. Um, Anyway, in the show notes, I'll put uh, links to all the stuff we've discussed that has relevant notes for it, including what you make in the kitchen. Uh, Joking. That was (laughs) was mean. That was mean. Um, But in the the meantime, Daryl, may all your big dreams come true, at least the good ones. Uh, And to you, dear listener, thanks for listening. Be well and do well. 